I'm Tabby. And I'm Caitlin. And today we are discussing Book Lovers by Emily Henry, our queen. Our queen. I love Emily Henry. She has never written a bad book, in my personal opinion. That's honestly so impressive. From the right out the gate, she's publishing amazing novels. Yeah. Like, I feel like there are some that I definitely like more than others. Book Lovers, like, out of all three of hers that I've read, is number one in my heart. But I do love all the others as well. And I'm excited for the one coming out soon. Uh, A Happy Place. So it is. Yes. Oh, same. And I think the cover's so cute. And I'm so interested to see if she'll make me love the story as much as she has these others. Because, like, you know what I absolutely hate what? is a second chance oh, romance. That's right. Yes, I forgot. And it so second. she's really putting my like readability to the test. Yeah, my expectations are high, and I hope that I'm not disappointed. But I don't think that I will be. I believe I don't think in her. So either. I'm going in with an open mind and a full heart. For sure. <laughs> exactly. My heart, <laughs> my heart's overflowing with love for Emily. Cup overfloweth. Okay, so I'm going to read the description of book lovers on Goodreads. So it says, Nora Stevens' life is books. She reads them all, and she is not that type of heroine. Not the plucky one, not the laid-back dream girl, and especially not the sweetheart. In fact, the only people Nora is a heroine for are her clients, for whom she lands enormous deals as a cutthroat literary agent, and her beloved little sister, Libby. Which is why she agrees to go to Sunshine Falls, North Carolina for the month of August, when Libby begs her for a sister's trip away. With visions of a small-town transformation for Nora, who she's convinced needs to become the heroine in her own story. But instead of picnics in the meadows or run-ins with a handsome country doctor or bulging forearmed bartender, Nora keeps bumping into Charlie Lastra, a bookish brooding editor from back in the city. It would be a meet-cute if not for the fact that they've met many times and it's never been cute. If Nora knows she's not an ideal heroine, Charlie knows he's nobody's hero. But as they are thrown together again and again in a series of coincidences no editor with their salt would allow... What they discover might just unravel the carefully crafted stories they've written about themselves. I just, I'm so excited to talk about this book. Same. Uh, um, so for ratings, so I, you know, just gave it a glowing review with a 112 out of 10. <laughs> Keep it light. You're so um, real for that. This book, like, makes you feel everything that you want to feel in a book. Like, I cried. But I also laughed out loud, like, multiple times because the dry humor is, like, top tier. But also, it's, like, I didn't find myself ever really being, like, overly frustrated with any of the characters. I felt like with the miscommunication trope we were given, it was so well done. And it wasn't between, you know, Charlie and Nora. It was between her and Libby. And so I love that. Um, and I just felt like the perspective, you know, of an older an older sister is overlooked often, and it was just really refreshing to see it in such a positive light. I've already said I love this book. I give it a ten out of ten, um, or one hundred and twelve out of ten. I agree with you, but I have not a single complaint. Like really and truly, the like normally we talk about things we dislike, and I have like some that I can maybe if I'm like scraping Come up for with something. something. I can come up with a little something, but like, I love this book. Like you're saying, it made me laugh. It made me cry. It gave me goosebumps at some points. Like the epilogue at the end, 
I literally get chills. Like, I just, I love this book. I, okay. I don't know if people will agree with me. This might be a controversial thing to say. But I believe that Emily Henry is a modern day Jane Austen. And here's why. Her books are, first of all, romantic. Second of all, hilarious. Um, The characters Mm -hmm. are lovable. Even the ones that are supposed to like kind of like grate on your nerves a little bit. Like they're supposed to be a little bit annoying and like too much. They're still endearing. Um, I think it talks about like a lot of like social issues and stuff and it doesn't really touch on like class issues which is more like what Jane Austen wrote about but I just think like the wit the skill and like the plots are just very Austen-esque and I love that about her and even if she doesn't you know really dive too deep into like you know class level she Emily Henry does talk quite a bit about you know, the different, like, incomes between, like, Libby and Nora and, like, yes. how different their lives are because of it. And, and they grew you know, up it's... really poor, too. So, like, yes. it does touch on those things for sure. And even Charlie did, and that really shaped, you know, who he kind of turned into as well. Yeah, and then they become, like, these really successful, like, working people, both of them. Yeah. And so it makes you wonder, like, how much of their, like, need for success was driven by that, like, lack of stability in their childhood. So yeah, it's very interesting. I think, of course, there's a lot of differences between Emily Henry and Jane Austen's work. I'm not saying they're like exactly the same, but I think like yeah, there's a lot of the talent, the raw talent is the same to me. She don't miss is what she we're trying to say. Don't miss. And neither does Miss Austen. So we'll just kind of start off by talking about these characters because they're I love amazing. Them. They are my children. Uh, we'll start with Nora, who is our main character. If I were to die, Nora's inner monologue would breathe me back to life, I'm pretty sure. Yes, she is the most relatable person. Like, she is that person who is, like, so reliable, but is, like, convinced that no one likes her. Like, everyone loves her. Everyone loves Nora. But, like, she's, she's convinced so that they all hate her. And I can relate so hard to that. You know, I feel like I actually don't relate, like, personally, I feel like I don't relate that much to Nora. Um, that doesn't mean I love her any less. So sure. I just feel like I'm so different from her. Like, she is just so, like, responsible and really takes charge. She took care of her baby sister from a very young age. And I'm like, couldn't be me. <laughs> like, I just feel like I'm so far from that. I just felt like, just like her perspective, not necessarily like her personality, mm-hmm. but just like how she is as an older sister. I felt like I could kind of relate. And I'm sure my older sister could also relate because yeah. we're both older sisters to two others. Like, just the difference between her and Libby and, like, their relationship with their mom, when, you know, that finally kind of came to light, it really kind of struck a chord with me because, you know, Nora always viewed her life as, like, very whimsical and magical and everything their mom did, she tried to make it fun for them. Mm -hmm. And, like, that's all that Nora could remember, whereas Libby always remembered, like, the struggle aspect and how hard Nora had to work and, you know, what she kind of sacrificed and... I feel like I can kind of relate to that because I feel like 
even just with like my own mom, like my older sister and I probably had a way different experience than my younger two siblings did. That's true. I also wonder how much of it has to do with like being a daughter, like a mom daughter relationship is so much different than like a mother son relationship. Sure. So, which I think we see that with even Charlie and Sally in this book. Yeah, for sure. Especially because like personality wise, Charlie's sister is exactly like his mom. Like he's nothing like them. And so I think he feels like a little bit ostracized. And then just like, and he knows his dad's not his dad. Yeah, his dad's not his biological dad. So he just has like this identity crisis from a very young age and it like shapes him. I also just really love how she's just unapologetically like the city woman in like your rom-com. And like, I think that's probably my favorite part of the book. And it's literally within the first chapter, the the prologue um, that she talks about how there's always that one woman from the city and she's dumped because her fiance, you know, goes to the small town to live out his life with whoever. With chastity. And it's like, you never really think about like those characters either, like how unfair to them yeah. that their, you know, sp- their, fa- their fiance, spouse, partner, like wants them to change who they like foundationally are because they've had a change of heart. And it's like, they get the short end of the stick every time. And I just, I love that Nora is like, she's just so whatever about it. She's like, you know, I am who I am and yeah. I'll find somebody who likes that or I won't. It's- I guess you could say, like, it's probably a good thing that they dump her because then it sounds like they would suck. I just hate Um, that they're always made to be the villain. And it's like, they're not the villain. They just have priorities and standards. Yeah, she's absolutely not the villain at all. I want to be her best friend. Like, yeah, again, like, she's so reliable. She literally puts everyone first. I'm specifically thinking of the scene when uh, her and Charlie go skinny dipping. And then her phone rings and she's like, oh my God, I told Dusty that I would call her. And she immediately like stops what she wants to do, which is to be with Charlie and be in the moment with him to go be there for Dusty. And it's like, it's not even a sense of like doing her job. It's a sense of being there for her. She knows that Dusty needs like emotional support. And in the same way, she drops everything for Libby and they go to Sunshine Falls for a month. Like she is the most reliable person and I love her. But I also love that that's like a huge like point of growth for her in the book too, because she also like the downside of that is that she will drop whatever she's doing to help someone else out. And it's like, she's not giving herself what she needs either. And so like, I love to see that development in her character throughout the book and how she realizes that, you know, she can still be there for people without like being the only person there for them. Yeah, without, like, sacrificing what she needs. Because Libby is like, hey, cut it out. Like, I'm literally an adult. And I guess, speaking of Libby, we can talk about Libby really quickly. Um, (laughs) She was so hit or miss for me. Same. You know, same with Brendan. Brendan was just there, and so were her children. It's like, they, I guess, are... Like, they're fine, but it's, like, they also could have just not been in the story, and I would have been all the better for it. The only purpose they served was the big surprise at the end, like, hey, we're moving to North Carolina. Yes. Um, 100%. I I think that, like, they are my least favorite characters in the book, like, Brendan and the kids. Um, I 
didn't hate reading about them, but I also like felt the urge to kind of like skim every once in a while whenever yeah. we were talking about them because I was just like, I don't care. So I guess that's my, if I had a complaint, I don't love Brendan. Sure. Um, another thing is when Libby and Brendan met, she was 20 and he was 29. And they like a pretty big age gap immediately got married. And it's like, and also she was grieving. Like she she was was not in a good place. She was super emotionally dependent and like on her sister. And then that just immediately translated to Brendan. And so I just think it's like a little bit questionable. (laughs) But again, I think that does really show like her character's growth as well, because she tells Nora, you know, like I did this so that I knew I'd be okay being alone. Like, I don't need to have my husband here. Like, I don't need to have you here. Like, I am finally at a place where I feel like I don't, you know, need to rely on someone else to be happy. And I thought that was really, really nice. And like, that did make me like Libby a lot more. Um, And like, looking back, when we finally figure out, you know, why she actually brought Nora to Sunshine Falls, like, I did love her for doing that, for getting her out of her comfort zone. I don't know if she necessarily went about it in the best way, but I did love like her heart for doing that. I agree. And that's the thing is like, I think that's always going to happen, though. Like, a character in a book is always going to make a choice that's not the best one. Because otherwise, sure. we wouldn't have a problem to solve. Right. Um, and so, it's also, yeah. like, your idea of a solution may not be someone else's idea of a solution. <laughs> yeah. Your idea of a solution is actually creating a lot more problems. But I, I do think her, like, character just itself, like, would fit in so well with that town. Like, she's just a very whimsical person and, like she strikes me as like a small town type of person. And I love that, you know, she acknowledges that too. I literally thought the entire like first three quarters of the book though, she was like terminally ill. (laughs) Like I thought she was like dying and like she was legitimately making like a bucket list. A bucket list for real. (laughs) And wouldn't that be funny though, if she's like legitimately dying and she's like, I'm going to leave my husband and kids behind. Well, no. And like whenever like, Nora finds the piece of paper with like the attorney's office on there. Mm -hmm. I didn't even think of divorce. I was like, oh my God, she just went in there to make a will for like. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I'm sure I got the same vibe the first time I read it, but I I couldn't remember my first impression of it. I knew something was odd. No, I thought she was super super sick because I couldn't like, they never said why their mom died. And, and it's I was like, like well, maybe been... she was like terminally ill. Yeah, something like hereditary, like some kind of like cancer or. Yeah. I wonder how their mom passed away because she was young. Well, for a second, because like, you know how whenever Libby goes, like they take her to the hospital, like Nora's listing through like all the things that she thought could possibly be wrong. And then pulmonary she's like, it has embolism. to be a pulmonary embolism. And like, that was like the thing that she like focused on. So I wonder if that's what her mom died from. That would make sense because that's so sudden and unexpected. Damn. Maybe. I don't know why else she would have. Maybe like a heart attack. Would have like like thought about that. Yeah. Well, yeah, but you're saying like she was like, oh my God, that's what it is. Yeah. Anyway. Let's talk about Charlie. Charlie. Charlie is the love of my life. Um, Literally the best like 
male character that's ever been written I think in my like he's so not even that he's unproblematic like he's not that problematic though like he's so supportive that's the thing is like he's so supportive and wants to put everyone first but he's also hot and mysterious and brooding at the same time and I'm like ah yeah actually you know I take it back there's not a single problem with him like (laughs) he's just trying to like do his best like at no point in time did he ever put Nora down. He only, you know, encouraged her, supported her. Same thing with Libby. Like, even though he was grumpy with her, like, he still supported her, you know, redoing good books. Like, helping his dad out, even though he felt like his dad didn't want him there. He's like, well, I'm going to be there for you anyway. Yeah. And, like, trying to make amends with Amaya. Like, he's just a good person. He is. And he's, like, hilarious. He's honestly, like, the banter between Charlie and Nora had me laughing so hard, especially at the beginning when they're like exchanging emails about Bigfoot erotica. Oh my God. I was like, oh my God. <laughs> well, and like, I loved him from the prologue too, because like, obviously they had like a really bad first meeting, but immediately as soon as they like exchanged just those two emails, I was like, nah, like we're going to yeah. be just fine. <laughs> You're like, nah, he thinks she's hot. His sense of humor is the same as my sense of humor, and I think that's why it related so much to it. Yeah, honestly, he's so funny. I also think that, like, he, like, apart from him being, like, just supportive in general, like, he went as far as to not want his, like, problems to negatively affect Nora, and I think that's why, like, he was kind of avoiding you know, like, being anything serious. He was super reserved and, like, scared to, like, put himself out there. And, like, I think that he did that with the intention of trying to save Nora, like, the trouble of him. Like, he sees himself as baggage, you know? Like, up until the end, whenever Nora is like, I want the grumpy cat. I don't want a golden retriever. Well, and I really just don't, I think, I think he didn't want it to affect Nora's view on him being supportive of her. Like he didn't want her to always be like tying it back to like, oh, well, you're only doing this because of this or whatever. Mm -hmm. And it's like, he just wanted to like be her friend and be there for her. And obviously he wanted to, to be more, but he was also, I feel like very respectful of their feelings in, you know, keeping it as casual as possible for as long as possible. Yeah. And I don't know, like, I felt that was like a very mature thing to do. It was because like, they both like wanted to like explore a romantic relationship with each other. But they both like had their own. They didn't want to ruin that relationship either. Yeah. Like they really kept their friendship strong throughout the thing. Um, His family is also like supportive oh which is nice um they're a couple of them are a little bit crazy they are but i would say if there is one thing i maybe didn't love about this book it's his mom and his sister and like i love their characters Mm -hmm. but i feel like the way sally interacted and raised and treated charlie like she probably thought in her head like that was the right thing to do But I feel like she gave up on him because, like, the second they're, like, Charlie's having trouble reading, she was like, oh, I'm just going to pull him out of school then and we'll just pretend to homeschool. And it's like, what a crazy thing to do with your child. Yeah, well, I think that, like, also, I just have to assume, like, so she was pretty wild as a young person. Like, she just straight off, like, went to, like, what, France or something to go Italy. Italy. 
And then, and then she settled down in this like podunk town. Like I think she legitimately thought she was doing what was best. Like she thought she was being a supportive mother, but it was just like such the wrong move. I also think it's just so batshit crazy that she was like with this art dealer or whatever, right? Gets pregnant with Charlie and she's like, I got to go back home because her mom dies. I'm pretty sure her mom gets sick or something. There's her dad, something like that. Yeah. And Clint is like, I will leave my fiance for you. And she's just like, yeah, do that. Okay. She's I was like, like I'm not gonna lie, I can use the money. <laughs> didn't want to be a like a home wrecker at all or anything. I don't know. Yeah. That's it seems- is pretty wild. That's like a weird thing that happened. Yeah, I think the thing about his family is that they're all just trying their best and they're trying their best to like understand each other. Because they're all so different. They all like, none of them should even know each other in the my only personal ones that are opinion. The same are Sally and Karina. That's it. Which I honestly didn't care for the mention of Karina either. Because mm-hmm. it's like I wanted to be mad at her for sticking that on Charlie because they all know he does not want to be there. Like it would literally kill his soul to stay in this town. And she's like, Well, I'm not doing it. So yeah. good luck. That's the thing that was like, like you don't want her to do that either. Yeah, like she doesn't want to live there. So it's like there's not really a a winning scenario Mm -hmm. unless they were to like both go there together and both sacrifice it. I don't know. It's just that's a crappy situation to be in. It is. I I do love his dad though. Um I I didn't think I would, but you know, after Charlie tells the story of, like, how when he couldn't read, he was like, don't worry, we'll find something else for you to be good at. Mm-hmm. And then whenever he finally does learn how to read, his dad's like, yeah, no worries. Like, let me just keep buying you all these books. Like, no, And the fact that he, like, built the bookshelves in his room. He built the race car bed. Like, yeah, like, just what just a so sweet. I just love that type of representation because it's like, I feel like my dad's kind of similar whereas like he's not like an outwardly overly affectionate person Mm -hmm. but like he would do literally anything in his power to help like nurture something I'm passionate about yeah that's so true I do love Clint he's like an emotionally stunted old man but he (laughs) loves so hard he loves so hard he just like doesn't use his words and that's okay but we love him we We love him we love him very much um, so some of the side characters, those were pretty much like the big main characters in the book, but there are some notable side characters, um, Dusty being the biggest one. She is our star of the show. There would be no book without Dusty. Dusty is Emily Henry. She Probably. <laughs> Every book she writes is a hit. I uh love her she's so unproblematic like I love like the portrayal of her just like being like I don't even know if this is good but here you go like yeah, she's I'm doing like, my best don't be mad at me like I'm sorry it's taken me forever uh I love you so much and then like the second that Nora is just like hey I need you she's like yeah girl I'll be there yeah like you I tell know. me when and where and like I'll show up for this I know I thought that was like genuinely so cool and the other thing that I think is like something that could have been like explored is like a genuine friendship with Nora because um Dusty is so appreciative of Nora and I feel like 
if they had like let each other in a bit more like they could actually be like friends like outside of work I'd like to think that they do yeah in my own epilogue they did become friends yeah I feel like a year from now she's like you know what like Libby's not here I'm going to explore some new friendships in the city. And it's like, yeah, you should, girly. Exactly. Because, like, you got to have friends outside of Charlie. And then with Libby being so far away. Yeah. 100%. Because I'm pretty sure Charlie's the type of person who probably is fine with not having any friends. Yeah. I just love, okay, one thing (laughs) I do love about the two of them is that they're like, what do you mean? Like, everybody in New York is my friend and family. Like, why would you want to leave your friends and family? Yeah. I do. Th- uh, that is so wild to me that they're both <laughs> obsessed with living in New York City. But I know there are people that agree. Yeah. But it could That's not why be. That's people live there. And I love that for them. I love that for anyone who loves New York. But I'm right up there with Libby. It's like, I'm so sorry. But if something like if shit does hit the fan, I also don't want to be stuck on the island. <laughs> yeah, same. With um, one singular bridge to get in and out. <laughs> Um, shepherd shepherd (laughs) Shepherd. he's a golden retriever i liked him i didn't like him as like a romantic character but like what a nice person yeah i honestly i think that he and amaya should just give it another shot why'd they break i think they should too get back together because for every golden retriever man there is like some scary witchy woman and that's amaya Mm mm-hmm um honestly yeah he's a bro like he's nice he's so like just like outdoorsy he built a home with his bare hands and he's smart he graduated from cornell with like a degree in engineering andy bernard who Uh, right he is him and same thing with amaya like she's she seemed like a very nice girl like at no point in time did she ever try to be weird or like interfered with their relationship like yeah. i feel like everyone in this book was just so mature everyone was just a bro like and they i were love it there. literally just there to like hype other people up yeah i love that energy like even though um shepherd and amaya's characters they kind of like exist to be the potential like romantic rivals but they would never. But they would never overstep. Like, Shepard was like, yeah, I'm interested. And, like, they had their date. But as soon as Nora was like, I'm so sorry, this is not going to happen. He was like, I respect that. He's like, and you know what? Like, my boy Charlie deserves it. He's like, go for it, girl. And I'm like, That's yeah, what a nice man. I feel like Charlie doesn't realize that all of his Shepherd family is so good. loves him. <laughs> I think someone who deserves an honorable mention is Gertie, the anarchist barista. Yeah, agreed. Because right. what a great just like toss away character. <laughs> I loved her. She was a vibe. Agreed. So with that, um, that's kind of all the characters. So we'll just kind of jump into things that we like. <laughs> it's a very book. short book. <laughs> but uh, the list of things that we liked is very long. Yeah, we already talked a little bit about the email exchanges. But they stay Literally great. the... Bigfoot erotica email exchanges are just so funny. And it's like, how did you even like come up with that in your head? Emily Henry. She's a genius. I'm saying. Um, Another thing I just like absolutely love is their flirty banter. It's gone. It's so good. (laughs) It has me giggling. I was blushing. blushing, Kicking my feet. 
I'm so embarrassed when I'm reading it because I'm like, <laughs> like, well, oh my like, God. The thing is like, I love the way she writes her romance novels because it's like, at no point in time, is it just like, just a gratuitous, like overly steamy, like sex scene. It's just like so well written. Yeah. And, like just the build up to it makes it so worth it. And something that I think is amazing, I just noticed on this reread, is like in the midst of this intense, passionate, like makeout sesh, like they're, you know, they're at this point, like thinking about going all the way. They are having a dialogue that pushes the story forward. Yes. And I'm like, how? <laughs> like, it's not just like an unnecessary dialogue. Like, this no. is. They're explaining things about themselves. They're they sharing were communicating. things communicating. And it pushes the story forward. And it's so fucking artistic. I'm sorry. I just it's could praise so Emily Henry forever. I'll and I feel stop. like like she does that so well, like in every single one of her novels. Like none of it is just like overly explicit. It is just so yeah. beautifully written. It's beautiful. It's like truly romantic. It's also like fun and like like funny. Yeah. And I think we talked about this a couple episodes ago because we were talking about when people were so offended by um, Bryce and Hunt joking with each other when they were being intimate. I love that. Why would you not? Like, do you not like your partner? I feel like that just, you know, really solidifies like how like good their relationship is with each other. It's like they feel comfortable. And they don't lose that. And like, that's the thing is like, right off the bat, they are so in tune with each other. Like, they understand each other's jokes and references immediately, like without explanation. It's amazing. They are literal soulmates. 10 out of 10. The fucking town signs in this (laughs) book, like, killed me. They're great. And like the, (laughs) just the entire description of Papa (laughs) Squats, like, I was in tears. I was laughing so hard. Yeah. Same. Uh, and I like, also love um, G-Spa. And, like, I like the continued joke about the spa as well. They don't it's like, like oh, is that how you pronounce it? Anyway, <laughs> like, just in passing. It never stops. It's, there's so many ways to pronounce it. Um, oh, my god! What's another one? Well, there's good. The mug and shot. Mug and shot. Yes. That one's great. I love that one. And I think, like, what's even funnier is that they have, like, whole-ass, like, town hall meetings about the, na- the like, ever-changing names of the coffee shop. It's giving Stars Hollow from Gilmore Girls. No, you know what it's giving? Pawnee from Parks and Rec. You're right. That's more on par. <laughs> like, that is quite literally a town hall meeting taken straight from an episode of Parks and Rec. Uh, who's the Leslie Nope of Sunshine Falls? Did we meet her? I don't. I don't know, but April is probably Gertie, the anarchist barista. Yes. yes, you're right. You're right. I hope no. Gertie's lesbian. Never mind. I was like, maybe Gertie and Shepard will end up together. Gertie and Amaya. If Amaya is into women, you know, she's girly pop. Also, just, like, some of the examples of the deadpan humor that I don't know why this one tickled me <laughs> so much, but the one about the Crocs. So she's like, <laughs> if you, 
offer to lend me your Crocs again. I'm going to see you for emotional damage. I did love that part because Nora is like, she's always put together. She's always got a pair of cute heels on. Like she would not be caught dead in Crocs. And Libby is like, just wear the Crocs. Your heels are sinking into the mud. And Nora's like, I will change for no one. And I love And her like, for good for you. And like, honestly, the fact that Charlie also just has like a deep appreciation for like the things he owns and like the material things he has to the point where he's like, I will just carry you so you don't ruin these shoes. And she's like, you got me. Like, yeah, I would love that. (laughs) I was like, wow, what like a dynamic duo. So true. I love that they don't change themselves for each other. They like... They don't even change the fact that they want to live in New York City. They don't even end up changing, like, their their ultimate, like, dream careers. Like, in the end, they stay so true to who they are. It's like Libby was trying so hard for that small town happily ever after. And I was like, yes, girls, stick to your guns. Go back home to the city you live. Exactly. Even though she left without Charlie, I was like, that's going to hurt real bad for me personally as a reader, but I get it. But like, I knew there was still enough book left that I knew they were just going to find each other again. Oh, yeah. And they did. They did. I also just liked how extremely realistic Emily Henry was for her characters. Because you know how a lot of time, I feel like especially in either like really cheesy rom-coms or even like some fantasy books, like when they're describing characters and like they have like just these most buck wild like ways to describe like their smells. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I love that she even mentioned it. She's like, no, like Boys just smell sweaty and like cologne. They don't smell like pine trees and cedar, like whatever. Yeah. They smell like sweat, but their cologne is layered on top of that. Because <laughs> it's like, you don't just notice that. Like, yeah. You don't just notice how a person smells unless they're wearing like perfume or cologne. Or if they and smell like, like BO. Yeah, or if they smell bad. And so I thought she was just so real for that. Like, she's making some very attainable characters here. (laughs) You're so real for that, girly. I also, okay, I wanted to say this because this is a recurring thing in Emily Henry's books. I love her books within the book. Yes. Ones that they're working on the entire time. They sound so fucking good. I'm going to need her to write them, even if it's just like a novella. Like, I just want her to write a novella of, like, these books that are in her book. I want to read about Nadia or whatever uh, her name was. Yeah. Uh, Nadine. 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 I want to read about uh, Nadine Winters. And I want to read about... Um, old Man the, Whitaker. Old Man Whitaker, yes. But the the family Marconi from Beach Read was... Uh, that book was in Good Books because Charlie yes. edited the family Marconi. And so they are, they were selling it in the bookshop. And it's like, I want to read all of these books. I just love that she, like, has these little, like, Easter eggs. Yeah, it's like they're all in the same universe, and it's very cute. Yes, and I'd like to think maybe one day they'll all meet each other, hopefully. <laughs> Passing in New York Well, City. Charlie's at least met, what's the main character in Beach Read? If he's her editor. Uh, January. He's met January because, yeah. Or did the guy write it? No, that was by January. Was January, by January Andrews? That sounds right. It's been a while since I've read it. Same. 
We should do that one on the podcast as well. Yeah, that one's so good. I mean, we should. Do I that. honestly, okay, people we meet on vacation holds just such a special, dear place in my heart. It's so good. So, so, so good. Anyway, I also love, I, and I talked about it a little bit too, the miscommunication that was between Libby and Nora and not Nora and Charlie, because you do always, that's a necessary, like a necessary thing in a book. You have to have some form of miscommunication because otherwise there's not really a book. Um, but I feel like just in terms of Nora and Charlie, they handled their decision to part ways so well, and it made the epilogue just so freaking worth it. But also, not even the epilogue, the last chapter makes me cry every single time when she goes down to Freeman Books and, like, is, like, picking out a book, but she's like, you know, what would my mom like? What would I like? Like, what would Libby yeah. like? And, like, it's just so heartfelt. And then when he just, like, appears. I know. Like, I sob. It's the perfect moment. I um, am going to touch a little bit more on, like, Freeman Books just kind of, like, in the symbolism section. So I'll kind of discuss like whenever we kind of come full circle to that. Um, but speaking of the epilogue, oh it my gives God. me like goosebumps. Chills. Chills. Okay. So what I love about it, first of all, there okay. I say what I love about it. There are multiple things that I love about it. The first is that it's not your traditional romantic comedy epilogue. No. It is not. It stays so true to the story. It doesn't do any of the bullshit that all the other ones do where they're like. They changed their mind about having kids. and Now they have eight children. Yeah. It stays so true to them. Every single character is like mentioned in the epilogue and they're all still the same. Um, Granted, it is only six months later, but still, I know that even if it was 10 years later, they would all be the same. So. The reason why it's only six months later, though, is because Dusty is about to uh, do a reading of Frigid at at this party. And so it says the party in question might also be for the woman and the Coke bottle glasses clutching a champagne flute as she approaches the microphone in the center of the bookstore to introduce this, this new story to a world that has been waiting for it. So she says, for anyone who wants it all, she begins May you find something that is more than enough. And I'm like, oh my God. Just the last <laughs> sentence in the book is so freaking. Uh. She wonders whether what comes next could ever live up to the expectations. She doesn't know. You never can. She turns the page anyway. Oh my uh, God. It's so good. It's so good. I I just, I can't even begin to explain the emotions that I'm feeling right now. It's just like that's one of the most fulfilling epilogues Ugh. of any book I've read. It's it like is. I feel like I got the closure I needed. Like I feel like that just leaves like so much room for like growth for everybody and like And it just shows that everyone is happy. Like it comes they're all full together, circle. everyone's celebrating. Ugh. And it shows like even if like you part ways or if like your story doesn't turn out the way you know it traditionally does, like it's okay. I know. You gotta, like, turn the next page. <laughs> it turns the page anyway. Ugh. Ugh. I love her so much. 20,000 out of 10. Um, Things we disliked, like, we, again. We already touched on it. Like, there's nothing. Nothing. Okay. <laughs> it's a perfect book. It's perfect, and you can't change my mind. Um, so, 
I would like to touch on like just some like fun like tropes throughout the book and also like some symbolism. Charlie and Nora, I guess like technically this category, I guess, is kind of like enemies to lovers, but they're definitely not enemies. They like are like work rivals. I would say it's like a colleagues to lovers, like yeah, but like they did have like a or at least Nora interpreted their first meeting as bad. Sure. Um, <laughs> and yeah, I to don't be think fair, Charlie it's so nice to learn that they were both having like really shitty days. Yeah. Um, so I guess you could call it that. It's also akin to a small town romance, but not the same at all. And like I've talked about it on the podcast before. I despise small town romance books. Like they are just the bane of my existence. Yeah. And the so I that besides I it happened one summer. Is it happened one summer? <laughs> that doesn't count because it's on a ocean. A beach town doesn't count for a some shanty reason. singing fisherman with a beanie is always gonna win my heart. That is so different than like a freaking like small midwest like bumpkin town cowboy yeah like when she was like he went to wyoming i was like no one goes to wyoming <laughs> gross no one goes there that was Not your me. first red flag yeah um but what of course makes it different is that the small town doesn't charm nora in the way that it does others like all her ex-boyfriends that dump her i felt so fulfilled that yeah. she was like hell no i'm not she leaving like, new york <laughs> Papa squats? <laughs> like, that's so like, gross. Yeah, no, nothing in this town will ever just call to me in any way, shape, or form. No, she hated it, quite honestly. But what I think is neat about it is that even though she, like, was not at all charmed by the town, that's still, like, the setting where she does fall in love with Charlie. Which is kind of fun because, like, neither of them wants to be there, but they fall in love with each other anyway. He's like, I feel like a piece of my soul is being sucked out every single day I spend in this town. But they're like, you he's know, like, until what? you showed up, you're making this so magical and perfect, and um, I love you. And, it's and like that great. just truly shows how they can find happiness with each other anywhere. Yeah, in for conclusion. sure. But I thought um, Emily Henry's like kind of like. Not jabs, because, like, I don't know. For lack of a better word, we'll say jabs at traditional, like, small-town romances. She was like, all my boyfriend, like, my boyfriend left me for a baker. Uh, Her name is Chastity. Like, she came for the Hallmark movies. And then, like, their taxi driver, when they get into Sunshine Falls, looks like Santa Claus, even. And she's like, oh, my uh, God. (laughs) I also hate Hallmark movies. I know you don't, but... I mean, I do love them, but I know that they're not good. They're so bad. (laughs) So take that how you will. The local business wordplay, it also kind of does... It does remind me of it happened one summer with, like, the disc and debt. (laughs) Yes, the disc and debt. I do love that. I think it's honestly so cute, and, like, that is something you would see in, like, a charming little, like... You know, like a little downtown. Um, But I wouldn't want to live there. (laughs) No, I think, you know, if I had enough of those businesses that had just like some stupid ass names, it might be enough to make me consider. To change your mind. But only if it's like just the most disgusting, weird names possible. 
That's fair. I could be, I could be convinced. I could be swayed. Mm-hmm. No, I couldn't. I couldn't. I would never. <laughs> I would never. Not me. Um, and then lastly, I want to touch on symbolism. First of all, I would say that one of the major like symbols throughout is um, the once in a lifetime novel. Um, that novel is, according to Charlie, Dusty's worst work. He is much fonder of her previous novel she had published. However, it seems to be the novel that um, brings her the most fame. Like, they make a movie out of it. Sunshine Falls becomes a tourist trap. I think that kind of symbolizes, like, you know, things that go mainstream. A lot of people will complain that, like, mainstream stuff is not as high quality as other art that deserves more attention. It's tailored. Yeah. To like it for like viewing purposes. Exactly. And it's like it's been put through like this almost like like desensitization of. Yeah. They're like, here is this perfect recipe for a book that will make people buy it. Like they're just like, it's got all these tropes that make people comfortable it's not very thought-provoking to be honest um (laughs) you see that in books now like we we've read them (laughs) yeah and you know what I'm I'm not saying that those books don't deserve to be read like I think everything has literary value however some of it the value is not as high as others and that's okay but yeah, and I think Sunshine Falls itself kind of symbolizes uh, disappointment <laughs> because it's romanticized in this novel. It becomes this place that people are infatuated with. Uh, but when you go there, it's dingy. The general store is this like pawn shop and it's gross. And there's a restaurant called Papa Squats and it's just not charming. Like it's the opposite of anything that I would want. <laughs> I just remember when she's like, what the hell's a Papa Squad? He's like, well, I think it's a state of mind. And then the, the Greek salad is just lettuce with cubed ham on it? What is that? <laughs> I hate it. I love Papa um, Squads. So, of course, that plays a major role throughout the entire novel. Um, Nadine and the cat and Frigid symbolizes Nora and Charlie's relationship. They even, like, I mean, it's on the nose. I'll read this passage, but I still think it's so, so sweet. Nora asks, when they they finish reading the book together, she said, would the cat really come back? Without hesitation, Charlie says, yes. It's not her cat, I say. It's Nadine's constant refrain throughout the book, the reason why she never names the little stowaway. She understands it, he says. Everyone looks at the cat and sees it as a little monster. It doesn't know how to be a pet, but she doesn't care. That's why she says it isn't hers, because it's not about what the cat can give her. It can't offer her anything. It's a mean, feral, hungry, socially unintelligent little bloodsucker. But it is her cat. It's never belonged to anybody, but it belongs to her. And then this part makes my heart melt. She says, I feel an uncanny ache. This is what looking at Charlie is like sometimes, like a gut punch of a sentence. Like a line so sharp, you have to set the book aside to catch your breath, which that line in itself is basically that. So 
even though it's like on the nose, she literally points out that she's symbolizing their relationship. I still think it's so wholesome and worth mentioning. It's so cute. Um, and it's think, just like I love how self-aware Charlie is. He's like, "I'm your cat." Like and he's like, "I'm a little bloodsucker, barrel street cat. <laughs> you can't be tamed." And then, uh, lastly, again, she does kind of. This is a little on the nose as well, but Freeman books. So we were talking about um, how that comes full circle at the end. Freeman books is basically where Nora and Libby were raised. Um, they even jokingly referred to it as their dad because like they didn't have a dad so and they were, like, that is what played the other major role in raising us. And it, um, like the experience for them was so formative. It's what makes Libby want to help good books with like the book lovers recommend. It is the, basically like the reason that Nora even wanted to become an editor and she ended up as an agent but of course we know she gets her dream job in the end um but I think what's so special about that is like the end of the book takes place and Nora is in Freeman books her and Libby have this tradition on their mom's birthday of picking out a book um that their mom would love and it's just so special that that's where her and Charlie like come back together because Freeman books like New York is her home, but Freeman books is her home, like in the city. And so it's like, literally when Charlie shows up, it's like, okay, I'm, I'm home. Like, I don't even know how else to say it besides saying the word home, but it's like her heart could not be more full at that moment. It's so perfect. It's literally just so beautiful. Uh, everything about this book is masterfully crafted but that you know kind of wraps up book lovers and like we said we may end up covering her other two throughout the the series throughout the rest of the year we're not quite sure yet how the rest of the year is playing out um (laughs) but join us next week we're going to be doing our an installment of poetry corner and we're going to Analyze some works by Shel Silverstein, who's one of my favorite poets. King. He's so um, good. We love him. And then the week after that, we will be shifting gears yet again. Um, <laughs> we're going to be discussing Promises and Pomegranates by Sav R. Miller, which is a dark romance, emphasis on dark. Please check trigger warnings. Um, but it's inspired by Hades and Persephone. We love Emily Henry, but I have a weird <laughs> obsession with Savar Miller, and I'm so excited. She is, she's a treat. Um, oh my god, I love her. Is it's the first book in an interconnected series called Monsters and Muses. Basically, they are standalone novels, but I highly recommend that you read them in the order they were released because yeah. it's kind of like it sprinkles things in. Um, and it's it's just fun to read them in that order. But yeah, we'll probably be just kind of, we're not going to read them all back to back for the podcast. We're just we'll going to sprinkle those in. Yeah. Because it, it's again, a lot to read at once. They are standalone. <laughs> and yeah, they're kind of long and there's like five of them at this point. So it's also just like a lot to unpack for each book. It um, is. And so, <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll need breathers in between. Love them, but they are. They're heavy. Else. So yeah, we'll talk to you then. And as always, let's get lit.